You're listening to End of the Line on WRIR 97.3 FM Richmond. End of the Line is an ongoing podcast about the pipeline struggles in Virginia and the Mid-Atlantic. I'm Whitney Whiting. The thing is, is that it's not just the trees. The system goes from the roots in the ground, the soil in the ground, and what happens beneath the surface. In the Appalachian region alone, studies done in the 60s identified over 1,500 medicinals. And of that, there's over 500 varieties of those particular medicinals that occur only in the Appalachia. I want people to know about this because they're not just doing this to me. I can count at least 20 to 25 properties right now that they've dumped these on. It's not just us. After documenting the resistance to the Mountain Valley and Atlantic Coast pipelines for nearly two years, my clearest memories are of walking through wetlands, along creeks and streams, and along country roads. And these moments on foot are never more clear than when I've been walking with an herbalist. Yeah, go, you can go ahead and pull the stem on that because those berries should be ripe. See the blueberries underneath it? That's actually Solomon seal. It's really great for cartilage and back issues. And it tastes just like asparagus. It's actually in the asparagus family. Do you like asparagus? <laughs> I do. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. He's kind of sweet. Yeah, it's in the same family. Beth Laferrier has been a medicinal herbalist for two decades. She and her husband, Neil, harvest organic medicinal plants for market, and her enthusiasm for the natural world is infectious. And I get to walk through here all the time. And right now, when you look down the road, as you're walking through here, it looks like all those puzzles or photos that you see on postcards and calendars and stuff. Country road. Yeah. You know. <laughs> it's beautiful. Neil and Beth didn't always consider themselves a part of the resistance to the Mountain Valley Pipeline. When they first considered their options, Neil says he and Beth felt trapped. Our neighbor had already sold on one side of us. Our neighbor had sold on the other side of us. Um, we, we negotiated the best we could to try and try and get a settlement that was feasible. We started hearing about the eminent domain and that people, they were just going to take our land anyway. We walked out on this property four years ago. You couldn't even see the roadway. It was all so covered up. And we literally just picked up sticks off the ground and beat our path through blackberry briars. And uh, we started seeing the native medicinals and got around and the smell of the blackberries and all the all the the june flowers was in there and we absolutely just fell in love with it there are tons of thorny blackberries all over these slopes thus the name blackberry botanicals it's a beautiful spot neil says although it wasn't pleasant to feel so trapped they tried to be proactive in negotiating what they could when they could but the path of the Mountain Valley Pipeline runs right across their driveway. So the whole entryway, I mean, it's not like I could like pretend to ignore it because every time I leave or come home, I have to pass this ugliness where they've cut everything out. And once the pipeline's in, we're gonna have to drive across the pipeline because that's our only access in. And that, that's not exactly an exciting option for us to have to drive my, me and my family across the pipe every time we wanna go in and out of our house. But in the winter of 2018, 
when it became clear that MVP was about to take its first steps in tree cutting, Beth got an idea. It actually started out as this odd little notion. We were out on one of our properties and we were harvesting some black cohosh and I was like, you know, I bet there's a ton of this stuff getting destroyed by the pipeline. And we kind of looked at each other and that thought just wouldn't leave my head. And then we talked about it a couple days later and we're like, you know, we got to do something about this. And I said, well, let's call our neighbors. Their neighbors didn't hesitate to let them rescue the plants they could from the pipeline right-of-way. Now, almost a year later, Neil says they've been able to save thousands of pounds of rare species of medicinals from counties all over the path of both pipelines. The week of our interview, they had just been in Highland County to rescue plants in the path of Dominion Energy's Atlantic Coast Pipeline, another high-pressure 42-inch fracked gas pipeline running the length of three states through the Appalachian Mountains. We still gotta get up there and get those seeds on that one. Uh, the Solomon seal? On the, yeah, on the Solomon seal here in the roots. Over here, this is all jewelweed. Now the county came through and they did a whole bunch of chopping, but jewelweed's great. It's actually nature's remedy for poison ivy, poison oak, all the sumac rashes, all that stuff. Normally, we people only identify it when it's growing big and tall and has the nice flower clusters on the top, but that's baby yarrow. And now that the, we're losing the leaves, you can see these multiflora rose hips that are ready to come up as soon as we get a good frost. Multiflora rose is invasive, but the rose hips are still useful for medicinals. On just a short walk down this mountain road, Beth pointed out baby yarrow, an anti-infective, rose hip, a good source of vitamin C, Solomon seal used for pain, great for cartilage and back issues, black cohosh, chronic pain and hormonal regulation, goldenrod, great for asthma. We also saw witch hazel, wild onion, Indian cucumber, and an interesting purple fungus that looked like an underwater coral reef. That's a coral fungus. Oh my god, that's gorgeous. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that violet shade of color? Yeah. Now we saw a whole bunch of those this spring when we were in um, Rockfish Valley. Oh, we were doing in Nelson something. County? Yeah, in Nelson County. It's yeah. just such a weird ethereal color to see in the ground on oh, yeah. a mushroom, you know? Because of the corally shape, it looks like something you should be seeing at the bottom of the ocean. But the purple coral fungus isn't out of place here at all. In fact, it's quite common in the eastern regions of the continent. But not far from this spot, the Leferrier's intern, Matt, called us over to examine something that was out of place, an odd bluish-green specimen laying under the fallen leaves. Pellets. Oh, pellets. I think the only reason these survived is because they were underneath this green briar. Okay, fresh pen dropped. Yep, I see them. You see here, in here there's residuals and these are... Oh yeah, here, did you want to get in there? Sure, yeah. Here, I'll hold some of this back for you. So what Matt's pointing out here in the foliage, they're these tiny little green pieces of, well, I don't know what exactly to call them, Neil and Beth call them pellets. When he first showed them to me, I thought they resembled something you might pull out of the wash after leaving a note in your pants pocket. But that bluish-green color, I couldn't place where I'd seen that before until Neil said it out loud. They look like uh, something you'd pull out of the dryer, like dryer lint or Rat poison. Or rat poison. These are the pellets that were dropped on us. These were collected from the first flyover that 
original day they passed over us. The Laferriers have collected nearly four pounds of these strange pellets since September 7, 2018, and that barely begins to touch the amount they think has been dropped on the land. This area was absolutely just littered and pellets. Yeah, the I roadway, mean, it was practically blue um, with what they and, spilled. You know, and unfortunately, like I said, there's not a whole lot left simply because of the nature of the pellets and rain. And then on top of that, all the leaf litter that's fallen since then. Um, but, I, I mean, I would estimate that they've probably dumped well over a ton on our property, um, just based on what we've seen. And all of it, right here, in the very same place where they harvest rare medicinals like ginseng. In fact, that's exactly what Neil, his kids, and his intern Matt were doing on these slopes on September 7th. They were out in the woods, digging ginseng and planting the berries. And we hear this helicopter coming, and it's flying low. And, of course, my children's instant reaction was to look up. Oh, helicopter! And about five, six seconds after it flew over the top of us, we started getting pelted with these little blue-green pellets. Earth guard. Or rather, earth guard edge. That's the pellet form. Uh, a couple of them struck two of my children in the face and caused marks. Um, you know, we moved uh, over from where we were, uh, and we monitored... Neil says they moved away from where the pellets were falling to get a better look at the helicopter. Within minutes, he was on the phone with MVP. They sent him some information. None of it sounded good. He also called the FERC landowner hotline. That's the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, responsible for permitting the pipelines at the federal level. He got a response from them 10 days later. We took them down and we showed them pellets all the way across the road for a quarter mile. We came back up here, we stood right where you and I are standing, and the two land agents from um, MVP said, well, we apologize, this isn't going to happen again. And I looked at the environmental specialist and I said, can this be cleaned up? And he said very specifically, no. Unfortunately, once this stuff is dropped, there's, it's not like we can go out and we can rake it up. It's in the leaves, it's in everything, it gets wet, it's in the soil. And here it is, what, October 2nd? 2nd. So not quite a month later, and we're still finding them. And do you think maybe those are the ones from the like second or third time that they... No. The second and third time they took a different path and went over a different area of the property. Hmm. You got some more down there? Here. Oh yeah, I see him. This didn't just happen once, or even twice. It happened three times, even after the Laferriers met with MVP and inspectors from FERC. That was kind of the end of that conversation. We went out into the woods the next day to go out and, and ginseng on the, on the 19th, and... Uh, the helicopter's flying over our property again, dropping pellets. And then again on the 20th. And so we call MVP, and MVP comes out, and we take them down the opposite side of our property and show them where they've been flying over our property, dropping pellets again. So let's back up for a second. What exactly is EarthGuard? Well, the Laferriers don't know for sure. It's manufactured by a company called Terra Novo Incorporated, out of Bakersfield, California. But part of the compound is proprietary, so until they get results back from the lab, they don't know for sure what's in it. The material data sheet simply says, Identification. Anionic water-soluble polymer in emulsion. Regulated components. None. 
It's supposed to be used as an erosion control measure. Throw the pellets down, and when they touch water, they ooze a mushy, gelatin substance across the ground, sprouting whatever seed might be put inside, like a chia pet on land. The problem for Neil and Beth? The pellets weren't dropped on MVP's bulldozed right-of-way. They were dropped off easement, repeatedly, in a delicate forest ecosystem that they depend on for medicinal herbs. I've gotten some information back from the company through the EPA, um, leading us to believe that it's definitely not organic. And for us, that's a, that's a huge issue. And, you know, the, the thing of it is, is they didn't just drop it on, on, on our land. They dropped it across three different streams on our property. Plus, they dropped it above our, our spring that feeds our water for our house. Um, so it's all across our aquifer. And the MSDS says very clearly on it that um, if ingested, drink plenty of water and seek medical attention immediately. So I'm like, what, what are we supposed to do here, you know? If you're just tuning in, you're catching End of the Line, an ongoing podcast about the pipeline struggles in Virginia and the Mid-Atlantic. I'm Whitney Whiting. On September 7, 2018, Neil LaFerrier and his kids were out in the woods when a helicopter flew low overhead, dropping dime-sized pellets all over the land where they harvest certified organic medicinals like cohosh and ginseng. Once you, once you locate what's left behind, you can kind of paper trail them. They're like a little trail of breadcrumbs. But there's another here, melted down into the leaf. And again, it's all wet and mushed out. The pellets are a substance called EarthGuard, used for erosion control. MVP dropped the pellets on the Leferriers, not once, not twice, but three times in the course of two weeks. On the 20th, when it happened again, we were literally out there for the second time with MVP. As the helicopter was flying over, we were out there with two of their land agents at the same time as our attorney was sending the cease and desist letter to these people. And they were flying over. Yeah, we've tried to be extremely cordial with the folks from MVP. Um, You know, we chose to take a much more proactive stance instead of fighting. We chose to go out and be proactive, rescue plants along the pipeline path, um, do what we could because we, we really felt like, you know, okay, if this thing gets stopped, that's absolutely fantastic. But if it doesn't, what's going to happen to all these at-risk native medicinals? Um, and so that's the, that's the path we chose. And instead of, you know, being, you know, a, a roadblock to them, we chose to work with them and, and try and rescue these plants. And it just, it's, it's, it's a huge slap in the face. Neil explained that with so much of this substance dropped repeatedly across the land, this will likely cost the Leferriers their organic status meaning a huge loss in business for them. But it's not just the unknown of the proprietary compound, some of which they've been told is made from Roundup-ready corn stalks. And it's not just that the product isn't organic. It's what the introduction of this product could do to an otherwise functioning but delicate forest ecosystem such as this. You know, it's amazing the different plants that you see here that just... They flourish here. They do so well. You know, look, here's more of that silly (laughs) colt's foot. My kids like this because in the summertime, colt's foot has little hairs on the bottom of the leaves. So when you feel the bottom of the leaves, feel. 
feels like velvet, right? Oh, wow. Uh-huh. Yeah. And then in the, in the summertime, when it gets really hot, and the top of the leaf is really hot, or it's hot outside, this bottom, because of those little fine hairs, it'll hold on to a little bit of mist, and so you can take it and use it like, you know, like a cold compress sort of thing for a minute or two. That's cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Amazing. Uh-huh. Amazing. The eye that you must develop, like... You know... The phrase, not seeing the forest for the trees. And I don't see the forest. I see everything else that's underneath it. This understory area here. I mean, there's there's a blue cohosh right over there. And here's some, this here is uh, tulip poplar right next to us here. Oh, yeah. See, with with the big leaves. Yeah. Just baby tulip poplars. Yeah. They'll, They'll take over if they get a chance. In the late winter of 2018, when the Leferriers were first starting their plant rescue, I had a conversation with environmental lawyer Tammy Belinsky about forests, particularly old-growth forests. The thing is, is that it's not just the trees. Those 78 or 79 acres that have been cut in the last week are are a system. The system goes from the roots in the ground, the soil in the ground, and what happens beneath the surface, all the way up to the treetops. And in fact, the, the final environmental impact statement for the plan revision, for the, for the revised management plan in 2004, described the value of an old growth forest in terms of of the layers of life that it supports, all the way from the ground, all the way up to the treetops, that there are ecosystems layered upon each other, that communities, the things that live on the ground are different from the things that live at chest level and the things that live in the treetops, you know. Um, the, the, there are layers and layers of communities. It's not just the trees. And, and that there isn't any place else that those communities exist except in old-growth forests because of that layering. Lauren Bowman, the Elliston tree sitter we heard from in our last episode, had something to say about forests as well. Flood control, disease control, um, pollination, nutrient cycling, water purification. I mean, there's a whole, I could go on and on, but... I can't stress enough that we can't survive without functioning forest ecosystems. See, the old growth forest is characterized by, you know, you get to, by natural succession. So you have places where trees get blown down. You have places where insects have gotten in and the trees have fallen over. And the places where there are standing dead snags. And then it opens up a place for a young tree to grow. If we look on the ground here, you can see where there used to be a much bigger tree. See, there's the root ball from it over there, about 10 feet away from us. And then if you look down here, you can see the rotting stump of it. And that's where these tulip poplars have filled in. Because you can see, if you look up here, you can figure that that big tree probably covered up this whole area. So when it died and fell down, you've got these tulip poplars. And these are about about 8 to 10 years old. And so you have, you have uneven-aged trees, meaning that they're of all different ages because of the way the forest opens up its spaces for the sunlight to get in 
and you have the life that's supported by the decaying trees. So what will happen to the layers of life in this forest now that MVP has introduced a substance, potentially a seed, that is specifically designed to proliferate where it was never meant to be? The company's website claims it's non-toxic to plants and animals, but there's a lot more to ecosystems than just what toxins they can tolerate. I followed up with Neil a few days ago to see if there were any updates from the lab. Nothing so far. But he did have something to say about whether this will still be a functioning ecosystem in a few years. We believe very firmly that there is both grass seed and fertilizer in the pellets, although we still, as I said earlier, have not gotten a response back on that. But based on what we're seeing up on the right-of-way where they dumped a lot more of this, grass is coming up. And when you take and you start planting grass into an area where I'm trying to grow native medicinals, that's going to start choking out natives. We don't know if this grass is a native, a non-native, you know, we don't know what it is. But we know that it's not something that we would find in our stands of ginseng and our stands of, you know, golden seal. It's, It's not something that belongs there. And so now we have this this plant that's going to be growing up that we don't want there, um, and it's going to be competing for space and nutrients from the soil that's feeding our plants. How many different species or or plants, different medicinal plants, would you say you... (laughs) In the Appalachian region alone, studies done in the 60s identified over 1,500 medicinals, and of that, there's over 500 varieties of those particular medicinals that occur only in Appalachia. I, as an herbalist, have expanded the number and variety of plants that I use on a day-to-day basis since we moved here by like almost double from what, you know, 10 or 15 that I used to use to like 35, 45 that I use now. All because it's here and it's growing abundantly and there's no reason not to use it. At some point when you go from trying to be cordial and work with these people and, and, and just be proactive about what you're passionate about, like the plants, to all of a sudden, they've, they've steamrolled you, they've abused the relationship they have with you, and they've, for all intents and purposes, assaulted your family and your property. You go from being that proactive to going on the offensive to saying, you know... I want people to know about this. This is important to the the court of public opinion because they're not just doing this to me. They're doing it to my neighbors. They're doing it to everybody in the community where they've flown over. They've dropped these on. And if I can care, I can count at least 20 to 25 properties right now that they've dumped these on. It's not just us. As I listened back to our interview, I couldn't help but wonder There had to be some reason that MVP would do this so blatantly, repeatedly. Was there a different route at some point in the past, and MVP was just using old route maps? But Neil told me, no, that's not what's happening here. No, in in this particular case in regards to the pellets, um, we've done a lot of research. We've done a lot of hiking up and down valleys. Uh, not just across our own property, but neighboring properties. 
um, and and properties that never had anything to do with the pipeline. And these pellets these pellets have been dumped across at least twenty different properties that have no 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 dog in the fight, so to speak. Um, you know, for most of people, it's not a big deal because they, they don't have this organic certification, and it's not it's not hurting their livelihood. Um, but you know, they it really is an issue of blatant and you know negligence. When you look at the aspect of when it happened, we called them within 20 minutes of us getting pelted the first time and then seeing the second pass. And we spoke with the land agent who is our contact at MVP. He's the one that's supposed to be able to take care of things for us. And they continue to dump pellets for another 12 to 15 passes that day. And then we had some, we had some bad weather. We met with them 10 days later. And they looked us in the face and said, we're sorry. We'll make sure it doesn't happen again. And then the day after that meeting, they continue to fly over us and dump pellets knowing full well that that route, you know, they weren't over the row or the right of way. So, I mean, at what point do you think, okay, this is, this is not an accident anymore because they've been told they're aware of the situation, yet they're continuing to allow this to happen. I mean, for, for us as landowners, I mean, I don't know, I don't know how else we could interpret it. We've considered ourselves you know, anti-pipeline from the very beginning. Um, But we chose to take a more proactive approach. Um, You know, I've been there. I've I've done some support stuff. But I haven't taken a frontline stance. Um, And, and, you know, your, your approach changes when you realize that taking the the softer approach and trying to work with the pipeline company, Mountain Valley Pipeline, or even ACP, you don't get treated any better. Um, you know, you, you, they don't, there is no, there's no extra respect there for you or your property. Um, and, and at that point, it, it's, you know, I, I have a big dog in the fight. Um, and I'm, I'm willing to put myself out there. I'm willing to say what, uh, what I think and share my story. And, and hopefully, you know, it, it opens some other people's eyes to, to you know, to, to get involved uh, before it is too late. More to come in the next episode of End of the Line. End of the Line is produced by Whitney Whiting. Special thanks for this episode goes to Maury Johnson, Mara Robbins, and Neil and Beth Laferrier for teaching me about medicinal plants. If you'd like to learn more about Neil and Beth and how you can support, visit them at blackberrybotanicals.net or through the Blackberry Botanicals Facebook page. Music by Restroy. Find the full EP at milkfactoryproductions.bandcamp.com. Additional music by Lobo Marino. Find them on lobomarinomusic.com. And find all episodes from End of the Line at pipelinepodcast.org or on your favorite podcast app.